Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion video and podcast. So I'm Jenny Graham, the editorial's editor of the Tulsa World. I'm Bob Bissett, editorial writer and columnist. Welcome. So this Sunday, I came across this Pew Research Center report, which I have to admit that my colleague, uh, Tim Chamberlain, who's on our editorial board, recommended to me. And it was talking about the trust in government, how many Americans, you know, just a measure of overall, and that's local, state, federal. And not surprising, well, it's a little surprising that it is at like all-time lows, like only something like 9% of people have faith in our government institutions. And it, it, or not the government institutions, but specifically the politicians that are running it. Yeah. And I just, I felt like there was a lot of the long-term consequences that can come from that. But to have a little fun with it, and I think I'm going to write a column on this next week, which is, I was thinking of, remember when, and I think they still do, candidates would run on what I call the beer litmus test. Like, we want, will you want to have beer with this person? Which I always thought was a very weird way of considering candidates. Like, is the candidate cool enough to have a beer with? Because I... I don't want to have, I don't want to elect anyone I used to drink beer with. <laughs> you know, <I'm> like, <laughs> they're cool people, but I don't really want them setting my city budget. Not, I mean, and you can drink a beer and set the city budget. Not offended by that, but <clears throat> I made a point in there. I was kind of joking that the kind of beer matters, that a person who chooses natural light maybe shouldn't be making hard decisions compared to others. So what, what do you think? Does does the type of beer matter in your um, estimation? Well, I am what I have described myself as an ecumenical beer drinker. So I will, uh, I'll have that special $8 Belgian quad ale with the blueberry notes, but I'll also slam that Natty Light. So you know what? Hey, it's all good to me. Uh, all right. How about this one? Have you heard of th this? Is a new one that I've not tried yet. It's Dead Armadillo has a pickle juice beer. Would you yeah, be I'm down for that? that? I'm out Would on you that. You elect someone to your city council who prefers a pickle juice beer. I don't know about that. And I will say this though: there's a lot of other things that Dead Armadillo makes that I will definitely have. Uh, really good brewery and. It, one of these days, if we ever have to do like a, you know, Ginny and Bob take over what's the ale day, we can we can talk some beer. I, uh, um, now, but, I like Marshall. Now, I will say that Armadillo, I like their IPA. Very good. Yep. I could, so a city, a school board member drinking an, a, a dead Armadillo IPA, I could live with that. But you know, I don't know. I don't know if I, I want to, like, if someone were only going to have like Canadian beer. I don't know. I don't know if I trust that person. I think beer, I think the kind of beer matters. Ooh. Yeah, um, I will say this: not wanting to sound extremely judgy or anything like that, but if you got a politician that's buying thirty-two pack bricks of Keystone Light, I'm going to have questions. <laughs> I think that's fair. But I was having fun with that as I was talking about something that is kind of serious, which but it, it's hoping, I hope to inspire people to sort of get past all of this superficial stuff, because that's what it is. It's just, 
is. You know, those ads of they're folksy and they use incorrect grammar to show they're one of you. I'm like, I want correct grammar. I, hey, I, if I, you get enough beers in somebody, everyone's going to have some exactly, incorrect grammar. Exactly. So let's just be real on that one. I don't need you to ride a horse with a keg on the back to prove to me that you can read a budget or understand policy. I just, so, you know, part of this is I think, but I think in all seriousness, this distrust in government, I think is reflective of how we treat each other. Because when yeah, you think yeah. about it, we're a government of the people by the people. So if we don't trust the people representing us, it makes it a lot easier to just trust each other. And, and at the end of the day, I just ask who, who gets power from that? Who derives, when, when we're electing someone, is that person waking up in the morning and saying, I'm gonna make decisions for the strangers, people I don't know, or am I gonna first and foremost think of my friends or myself? And right now, Americans are cynical, 65% of people believe all politicians are out for themselves, that their first priority is, are they going to benefit? That's, you know, that's, that's interesting because that brings back a discussion that I think we had with some people last week where, so we had a candidate come in, uh, I think two or three weeks ago, who said, all of these people are raising money for other candidates and other PACs and stuff like that. And that's how they get you know, seats of power and how they rise right. to different levels in Congress. And I'm not going to play that game, which I appreciate that kind of honesty. But I also understand from a realist point of view is if you don't play that game, you're not going to be able to help your constituents out very much. But the point being is exactly like you said, you get into office. How much time are these guys and gals spending raising money for somebody else's pack or some other candidate that they want to see win or whatever instead of doing like the things like hey you know there's a highway over here in part of my district that really stinks and it's kind of dangerous and some federal funds might help that out or here's a there's an issue that some people have been writing me about and we're going to get my legislative staff on that research it and if it requires a bill we're going to write one that is kind of a strange thing where, you know, they're, they're kind of, they get in the office, they help themselves, they help each other, and it just feeds on it, you know, in a way that leaves the rest of us in the dust. Right. And, and I think we're kind of talking about like earmarks in the Senate, that we have this trend of yeah. everything's pork. And we're, we editorially have always been for earmarks. That's the, I mean, Jim Inhofe was great at that. We're going to yeah. miss him so much because that's why we have all our military bases, our highways. I mean, he... He certainly did help out people in his party, but he brought in so much money for infrastructure that we owe our highways and Porta Catusa so much. And I think that he did act in that way more fiscally responsible because he knows we're paying into that system. So we should be able to get a fair amount back. So, but I, you know, that, that distrust is, is I think corrosive because then you yeah. don't have people, good people who want to run for office and it just dissuades people from voting. And so I think that a long term, if we don't really put people in office who are going to act in the for the better of strangers, for people they don't know. Um, and I think with incumbents, it's a little easier because you can see who they're appointing, what uh, task force they're sitting on, the, the bills or policies they support. And, you know, with newbies and candidates, it's a little harder. But, you, but I think we just have to get past that. Can I have a beer with them? 
even though beer is fine, not going to be a beer, well, a little beer snob, more of a wine person, but that's a whole other discussion. But, um, but this weekend, Bob, you wrote a column that no one's thinking about. Uh, <laughs> not that that's bad. I, I was reading the, My the, the I'm reading because I get to read all everything before it publishes. And uh, you write about Taiwan and about yep. Biden's promises to Taiwan. No one right now is thinking about Taiwan, but you. And so I am curious. I mean, it's interesting, and people should read it like they should read everything we write. Um, but why did you think of this as a topic? What sparked that? In you. Well, I, I thought of this a couple of weeks ago, um, and then a lot of news happened of uh, Ubaldi and then the, the shooting in, uh, at uh, the St. Francis Clinic building that was there, the Natalie building, and, and a few other things. Just like, oh, yeah, let's put that away. We've got some you know, bigger fish to fry. But it's stuck in the back of my mind because of a conversation that we had with uh, Congressman Frank Lucas, and he brought up... Uh, some questions or some I, some things that are going on over there in the Western Pacific. So uh, it's not any secret that China, the People's Republic of China, has long wanted to pull Taiwan into the fold and the Taiwanese don't want any of it. Um, but that's always been one of those things where it's just been words. Um, but there now there's a fear that we're past words now. Uh, this could be a very much more credible threat to Taiwan from mainland China. How it matters to us is goes back. It was two things. One, it goes back to what President Biden said. He said out loud what we've been just kind of, yeah, just kind of implying or inferring without saying much is that if you do it, we're going to have to get involved, and that's a huge military commitment and a really bold thing to say in an international stage when everyone's watching because that was the case but on the other side of that too and this kind of goes to frank lucas's point is the type of disruption that could happen in taiwan would affect us greatly because taiwan is one of the world's greatest uh chip manufacturers computer chip manufacturers and I think there's some strategy going on here with what Biden said and why he chose to say it now. Um, so that's kind of what the, the column goes into. Obviously, the thing that everyone's watching right now is Ukraine. That may be something that is giving the Chinese pause, maybe a little less bellicose now. They're facing some headwinds of their own. But then again, also these situations are not apples to apples. So I dove into that a little bit, um, keeping in mind some of our domestic and local interests there. Um, and it is something that we should be watching because the Western Pacific has been kind of a hot zone and is getting hotter all the time. And if you were looking for a place where the United States might be involved militarily, uh, that area of the world is heating up. Uh -huh. You know, you said, you know, what, what people are talking about and looking at, I would also, and I will, I'll, I'll say at this point, because people are going to wonder maybe why we're not talking about it, and we will in a couple of weeks, which is the hearings that are going on, the January yeah. 6th hearings, because we had encouraged people to watch them, even if you don't, even if you think it's set up, whatever, uh, you, you question the, the setup, but 
I, we will talk about it in the future at some point when it's over. Yeah. So I want to get through all of them. And yeah. I haven't been watching it like my mom did Watergate hearings. Uh, there, you know, but what I have seen has been fascinating and it's been really informative. And mm -hmm. um, I just want to go back to that editorial we wrote and say, you, even if you hate Nancy Pelosi and you hate it all Democrats, it's worth seeing the evidence that has been collected because, I mean, we're just talking straight up videos of, of you know, testimony. I mean, unaltered yeah. videos of Trump's in, inside. And I know that we're, there's a lot of talk about Watergate 50 years ago and all the stuff that we find out. This, what we're going through, is going to make for some fascinating history in the decades going forward. Like 50 years from now, people are going to be writing books on what we're finding out now. And it's just, we'll talk about that at some point. Uh, but I'll just kind of throw that out there. But the, uh, another op-ed we have this weekend is from our community advisory board member, Jesse Guardiola. He's a Tulsa police officer, has been for something like 20 something years. He is, I've known him for years. I first met him when he was named, I think it was like Hispanic liaison because he speaks his, he speaks Spanish. His, he's a son of Mexican immigrants. And at the time years ago, he was like one officer in charge of making all these relationships in the Hispanic community during a height of immigrants coming in here. And I thought that was like kind of ridiculous to expect one person to do that. But mm -hmm. he has such a great view on recruitment and retention of officers. And he puts forth an, an op-ed about the importance of diversity in the ranks of law enforcement and how that can be done and that for so many kids, especially when they're coming from immigrant families or families that don't have law enforcement backgrounds, they don't think about it. And in some cases, they have just distrust of police and that to expose them to this idea that they can be officers and help with the, you know, challenges they face. And so he, I, I, find, I always find him interesting in his writing. And so I, I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. And, uh, but we have a couple of editorials from uh, editorials about policing. And the board was really thankful that Wendell Franklin, the Tulsa police chief, showed incredible leadership and spoke specifically and directly about gun safety and gun violence. We have seen, and it has frustrated me, I know it frustrates you and other people, that politicians and city leaders, they're just tripping over each other not to talk about gun laws, gun policies, gun, you know, actual gun thing. I mean, they'll talk about thoughts and prayers and we should do something and nebulous mental health, but they won't talk about, I mean, it's like everyone's so fearful of these gun advocacy groups that no one's saying anything. Wendell Franklin did. And I think even if you disagree with them, you know what? He was bold enough to say, he gave three specific Exam, you know, things that are harming not just the public, but officers, because officers are tasked to get, you know, guns out of criminals. And he, he said constitutional carry, which is the permitless, you know, not, you don't need training to get a gun and, you know, carry it around. Um, getting faster uh, alcohol bureau and tobacco background checks. And I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. There was another common sense one. Um, and then he said he, in general, kind of backed some other things. And so I, I thought it was pretty, pretty outstanding that he went out there and, and, and put himself out there like that. 
Well, I tell you, there's a, there's a phrase that you just said that I think we could write books about on this particular issue with guns, nebulous mental health. Because isn't that always the case? Oh, it's a mental health thing. Oh, it's a mental health thing. Well, hey, the mentally ill are not by and large ones that are just killing a bunch of people all the time. Most of the people that have a mental illness are not violent. So this thing, it's like, it's like an easy thing. Mental health is a word or a term uh, in terms of gun safety and gun policy that has now become almost as empty as thoughts and prayers. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, there was that for sure. But the other thing that I found really interesting because it was loaded, loaded with consequence was when he was talking about permitless carry, otherwise known as constitutional carry. That was, correct me if I'm wrong, but was that not the first law that the governor signed? I don't know if it was that one. I know he signed the anti-red flag laws, which we okay. can't even now pass a law that deals directly with mental health. So but, when I say nebulous mental health, I, you know, I follow that up usually when people say that, which is okay. Let's just say that is your number one reason that you, that we have problems. What are you willing to do then Yeah. to address it? Are you going to take money from your budget and put mental health counselors in schools? Are you going to put it into nonprofits to expand their mental health uh, services? Red flag laws get to that for, because yeah. right now the adjudication for, because we do have this long, tedious way of, if you have a mental health diagnosis, someone can go to the courts, but it's really long. People long ago gave up on it. I mean, and if you are in the mental health sphere at all, no one does this. What, what the red flag laws uh, would allow for is if someone's in a crisis now, because it can, it can change. The public or the police can petition a court to say, we need to get guns out of this person's hands now. And it's yeah. almost like getting a, a warrant. You know, it's fast, it's temporary, we can get the person stable. Um, it, that's what that is. And so if you're saying mental health, are you for that? And if you say, oh no, I'm not. Okay, then it's really not mental health. Yeah, let's just not talk about it then. Because if then, you're then not- gonna... what, what is your solution? So, yeah. And so Wendell gave actual solutions. And, um, and I, you know, good for him because we need some leaders on this because the, you know, if you're going to sit in public office, some of these conversations are really hard, but I mean, there are things that could have been put into place, raising the minimum age to, to 21. That would have stopped. Yeah. The New York times did a whole piece. It would have stopped something like eight or 10 mass shootings and something like that. I mean, it's um, going you know, back to the constitutional carry thing. Yeah, that right there what that what that law told me is, you know, that was that was a, a law of preference. It was not something that anybody really needed. That's just what some people, a few people wanted. And it has the potential for dangerous activity. So the situation that puts law enforcement in and I think this gets to the to the chief's point here mm -hmm. is someone can legally go out in public with firearms of all kinds, openly carrying them. And outside of maybe, you know, walking up to the guy and saying, Hey, what you doing? 
you really can't do anything about it until that person poses that immediate threat. So the person starts Which shooting by that, legal yeah, until so, they start shooting people. So in that at that point, it's too late. You're in a firefight now. Or if it's just you know people and there's no law enforcement or security around, it turns into a shooting gallery. What is legal instantly becomes a violent activity. And I go back to that law and I think that it became a litmus test thing. You know, we've got to put, put another gun law out there to see who's really with us. So we're going to take this step as if they've had, they've lost any battles of gun control, anything over the last several years. And then lo and behold, it passes and it becomes law. And it's not just in Oklahoma, but several other states. And what a spot to put police in where they have to be that much more on the guard because they can't, they can't know for certain what someone's intent is. Right. You have to watch until oh, it's too late. Yeah. The the third thing that Wendell had mentioned in that were, were straw purchases where it's a person with a yeah. clean record going in and buying it. So he said the constitutional carry with the straw purchases is making it very hard and dangerous on cops that they just, they cannot keep up and they're just taking, there are a lot of, he just keeps saying there are a lot of guns out there in hands of people. Now, yeah, it's just, uh, so, so, so I wanted to compliment him on yeah. that. The board did because he is one of the few really showing, um, showing some leadership on that. And, and I'm, I'm going to compliment him, but can we just take a moment to talk about the town hall gun <laughs> violence meeting? Sure. What a waste of time that was. Um, it was, we're going to talk about gun violence, but we're not going to talk about gun policy. Gun policy is off the table. What is that? I mean, how do you talk about gun violence and gun safety without talking gun policy? It was just a way for all these officials to not go on the record with what we're talking about, with what everyone's talking about. And at some point it devolved down into, and I couldn't believe this, schools. They want, uh, the, the district attorney Kunzweiler said it was up to schools to start developing, to start fixing school safety or gun safety. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't even, we, and we just had a shooting at a hospital. Yeah, that, there's nothing that, you know, the teachers or the principal at Memorial High School could have done to stop that. To stop a shooting as, I mean, it's, but we couldn't talk <laughs> about policy. We couldn't talk about, you know, the gunman bought the gun just hours before or that it was a semi-automatic. I mean, I was just floored at the, anyway. Just want to take a minute to say, if we're going to have this, let's really do it right yeah. and, and do something that's helpful. And I am so tired of people blaming schools for stuff. Let's just call it for what it was. They held that forum to say, we did something. We did something. It didn't, I mean, and the people in the audience, of reading our story by Jacob Factor, people in the audience were not happy with that. They wanted to talk about this. They wanted to hash out and be heard so much of what they just, I mean, people didn't even feel like they could vent and say, hey, you know, this yeah. is how us in Tulsa would like to live. And I just, they really, if we're gonna do that, rethink it, really start listening to people. And my goodness, if you're gonna start blaming schools, get the school superintendent up there to talk about what life is like. And I don't know, I was semi-joking before that pretty soon schools are gonna have to 
solve homelessness. Let's have schools solve hunger and poverty. I mean, world peace. We're not going to pay teachers anything for it. We're not going to give teachers or schools mental health counselors, but please solve all of our societal problems. Yeah, let's, you know, we could always blame the Jenks public school system for the Russians invading Ukraine. Yeah, but you know, I will say- Why there, not? Uh, It's Deborah Gist's fault, dead. actually. Huh? Deborah Gist's fault, actually. It's her fault the Russians invaded Ukraine. Yes, well, I, I, I have missed the meeting that TPS is apparently the target of all ills lately. So <laughs> just the meeting at the Capitol, that was hell. Just trying to stay on brand here. She did, and I, I would listen to NPR this morning on A1, and she was a guest on there. I didn't expect that, but it was a discussion on school safety, and she said some interesting things, but there were a lot of interesting things said on there about school safety that I would recommend if people get a chance to, to listen to that. It's like in the last 10 or so years, there's a whole industry of school safety that has evolved, you know, billions of dollars. None of it has shown any effectiveness, like no data, no research shows that it works. Good and racket, all of it, I didn't realize this, most of it is about keeping intruders out, but most of the shootings that have occurred in schools have been once people are in, that they're people who are students, they have, you know, former, you know, families, I mean, somehow they're in and then they start shooting. So if, if all these measures to fortify schools are in place, it will actually be more harmful because then police can't get inside, you know, bulletproof doors, stuff like that. So it's interesting. People should, should listen to it. So um, I, I would uh, recommend that. And one last police editorial is this ongoing discussion about the independent monitor. And, you know, the um, Mayor Bynum in 2019 had suggested there be an, an office of independent monitor of the police. And the whole idea is to have civilian, some civilian involvement, oversight, independent, whatever you want to call it. There's been a whole lot of pushback because I understand it. And police don't want uninformed and uneducated civilians, and I say uneducated meaning uneducated in the law enforcement world, second-guessing them. They don't want to have uh, people usurp power away from the chain of command, and I get all that. I think the board gets all that. We agree. On the other end, we have a lot of minority, particularly minority people, who just don't trust police. They, it's generations old, it's real, and there's this, this growing sentiment locally that they want to have an avenue to vent, to have their side heard by people who are not employed by the police department. They want an independent person to hear their side of whether it be a specific incident or just their unhappiness with, with decision-making and to understand the decision-making. So it's just sort of lingered and it's just sort of there. It's not, it's getting worse. The distress is deepening. The police are sort of digging, no one's moving. And I, I think we had an interesting board discussion that we just sort of, I think, came to the conclusion of, fine, you know, there was no model out there that, you know, Wendell Franklin had said, the models out there are laughable. Okay, fine. We don't want a laughable model. And, I, and when you force things on to agencies, it rarely helps, but we have to come up with something. So our editorial is, I think everybody just needs to get to a table, admit there is a problem. We do have a lot of distrust in the police, whether warranted or not, it doesn't matter, it's there. So let's admit it and move forward and just both sides, 
both that want this independent monitor and that don't want it, just know you're not going to get everything. But we have to start somewhere and create something everyone can live with for now. But I just, I think it's inevitable. I mean, I've always sensed that it, it, it doesn't have to be an independent monitor. It just has to have something. Because right now, no one's buying into what's being done. Yep. What did you pull away from our discussion? The term Office of the Independent Monitor has become a toxic brand. Yep, we need to get rid of it. Nobody wants to talk about the OIM anymore because the OIM has been somehow become toxic in the discussion. Um, this is a tough one, and it's hard to... It's a big ask, and I'm not a huge fan of that term, but I'm going to use it here, to have a community, you know, a community's leadership come up with something from scratch. Yeah. However, however, as we have seen with different police shootings and both different types of actions uh, that may or may not just involve shootings, the trust issue that you're talking about here, we have got to find a way to build that trust that you're talking about because the both the best policing that you have is or the most effective policing that you have is if the community at large trusts the officers that when they see something they're going to say something because they trust that this guy who patrols over here i know this guy i trust him when it gets to the point that it's a bunker mentality where a community sees a police force as something just short of like an invasion or an occupier. And the police force sees parts of the community as, you know, hey, happy hunting. Today is going to be another day in the war zone. Oh, man, you can't operate like that. There is no trust at all. So there's a bridge that has to be developed that you can build that trust, but it also has some kind of a degree of accountability. You know, we know, I know this for a fact, knowing many, many police officers over the year, years and knowing, you know, the types of folks who are in the Tulsa Police Department. There's a lot of good officers in there. They're working hard. They're doing a difficult job. But we also know that Tulsa Police has taken a few blows uh, over the years as well. And that's where that distrust comes from. So how do we get all these people together? You know, what's it going to look like? I think if it's going to be effective, we might not want to call it an OIM. That's why I said we need to come up with something just for Tulsa. And it's probably yep. going to act like something like an OIM. So how do we get there to where you know, to your point, I believe not everybody gets everything they want. Some people got to swallow some stuff they don't want, but that's how governing works. Yeah, I mean, know? it's not, it's, it, there's, a, there's, there's heartache and, and, and transformation, but I'm just looking at, you know, looking at the tea leaves, it's not going away. If anything, those calls are getting louder. And, you know, I yeah. just think of, think of the, the consent decrees that have been forced onto agencies. You know, they, 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 yeah, you don't want that. I mean, you don't want Ooh, that. You, you don't, don't want, want and you, you know, you don't, it, it, if you're Chief Franklin, you want to be at that table helping mold it. Otherwise, you're just going to have to take what's given to you. And that's the worst case scenario. 
Um, yes. And and I would say the same with the FOP. And you know, on the other end, you've got Vanessa Hall Harper and people who are really pushing for maybe a lot more than what is going to happen. And they, you know, they're going to have to realize you're not going to be able to do, you know, half disciplinary action, things like that, or whatever it is. Can so, we have kind of a little bit of real talk here on this? Mm-hmm. We can't. You can't go into a thing where one side is saying, "Nope, nope, we can't do it. We can't do it." You know, it's going to take away all our power. We can't have these all these advocates and activists telling us what to do. And on the other side, people saying all cops are bad cops and defund the police. That nonsense has got to end because neither one of those types of viewpoints is going to get you to a point where you can effectively police. Right. And, I, and that and you're right, because you because some of the activists and advocates are not going to be the people you want in those positions. I think that, and you're, I think the people that end up doing this, that are the, the civilians that be, that are involved in this have to be trusted on both sides. And I think that in order for something to be effective, that's going to be key. So whatever these, this model is, it's really going to hinge on the respect and trust of who they put into place. And that's not going to be your activists and your advocates and your or even play. I mean, that was always the problem. There are some civilian boards, but they don't have much teeth. No one's really bought into it. And, and they were chosen by police. I think people want a true independence of police to hear them out, but not as, you know, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's something to recognize too. Yeah. You, you don't want a spot where police are just quitting in droves because they can't, they don't believe they can police anymore. Right. And they should, I mean, they, I want them to have their chain of command, I want them to have the authority, but I also see people who really feel victimized by this system and they don't feel like it, they don't have any avenue. So we yeah, have to we, we don't want another we don't want them. another Terrence Crutcher shooting either. Right. I mean it's we don't want that. It's bad. We don't want there's a lot of things. So so I just I think at this point, just drop the term who I am. But we all, everyone has to recognize that this, the longer this takes, and here's what I'm seeing, it's not just causing distrust in the police, it's causing distrust in City Hall, because the city yeah. councilors aren't coming to the table on this, and they're, <laughs> sniping at each they're not trusting too. city councilors too, yeah. in the mayor's office and everyone involved, so the more this stalemate happens, the worse it gets, so, you know, come to the table, so, Agreed. and on that hot, happy note, um, happy Happy note. There are two really big, well, not big, but holidays this week in Juneteenth, which I, the, I, you know, I've been in Tulsa almost 30 years and I never knew about Juneteenth because, you know, we didn't have the best of education on African-American studies in, in my school. Mm-hmm. But uh, I came to Tulsa and I remember going to my first Juneteenth here and I'm like, this is awesome. It was just music and food and celebration and uh, and, you just, and I started to learn about it, and mm-hmm. it's only just gotten better. And so there's Juneteenth this weekend in yep. Tulsa, and I love that. It's it's just great. And then we also have Father's Day, same day. Yay, Father's Day. So we, Father's Day. And uh, so the only father I really have right now is my husband, who's not my father, my kid's father. So we have to go out. and I, I, The Father's Day is the worst in, in buying gifts. I don't know what to buy. I never, I never knew what to buy my dad when he was alive. Like, I, you know, how? I mean, no one's gonna wear a tie. Men don't wear ties anymore, do they? Or not the men I hang out with. <laughs> not if I can help it. 
So I don't know. I guess we're going back to beer. This this yeah. will start with beer. We'll end with beer because that's what my husband's going to get. Because I am going to be out of ideas, and I will stop by Marshall Brewing Company and get their whatever pint. Not a pint. What's the big one? Growler. That's it. Get you a growler. And, and if you wash it and bring it back, you can get it refilled for a little cheaper. To say that oh. right here, one of the coolest conversations I had with my dad recently was over a beer and a steak. There's your Father's Day plan right there. It's a it's a boy thing. So yep, man, grill yeah. some steaks with your my, dad. Get you a few cold. My eighteen ones. year old son would like that. Can he have a beer and a steak? So he's going to be all for that. My eighteen year old son, by the way, thinks he's a grown ass man because he's graduated, and uh, so yeah, beer and steak. He's going to think he can partake in the beer part of that. We'll see. <laughs> not sure about that. It's not legal. So we don't do anything illegal at my house. We're not advocating breaking the law this father. No, day. we do not break the law at my house. Um, so anyway, anyway, I hope everyone does have a happy Father's Day and a good June, Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. And we also have, I think, Pride in there too. I'm not, I think the Pride, Pride Parade maybe this weekend. I'm not sure, but I know there's Pride stuff going on all month. So. Lots of Pride stuff. There is so much cool stuff and uh, extreme heat. So, you know. Huh. And that's not so cool. That's not so cool. Not so cool. And I got to mow my yard again. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, Whoa. I don't know. Well, anyway, I hope everyone has a good weekend. And we will talk to you next week. See ya.